Alrighty. Here we are. The Distorted Disclosure with your host, the Magnetic Jockey Kid. Um, my guest tonight, the wonderful Mr. Bill Griffith. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's nice to be here on this beautiful Wednesday evening in January. Uh, yeah. Well, welcome to the Distorted Disclosure. Welcome to the Treehouse. Now that you've you finally seen it, I've, I've, I'm always at your place. So it's nice that uh, this time it's a little different. Yes, it is. Many, many rooms here in the Palace of Nate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if these walls could talk, they have they have some stories yeah. to say, I'm sure. Um, so how was your day? You were off today? Yeah, I was off today. Actually, I was. Uh, it's nice. This is this is my. It's, I don't want to say slow time, but uh, I'm, I just finished that big job. So I have a little bit of couple weeks of just odds and ends that we needed to get done and patch some things in. I even put up on Facebook all the people that I pissed off in the last year that yeah. were like, you know, where the fuck you been? You said you've been... So yeah. I got some of those calls that I was, I've was i been dealing with, but uh, starting a job tomorrow, we uh, finished one yesterday, and so I, I did I'm, a couple... I'm, I'm always glad when you're working. Yeah. Always glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I did a couple estimates today, actually, and did some stuff over the phone, so... But other than that, it was kind of nice. I clean... I even clean for... I don't clean for... I don't think there's ever been a girl I've cleaned for in my life, so you, you, that's how important... This is very, feel. very clean in here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I showered before I came over. Go ahead, uh, That's funny. Hey, by the way, excellent rehearsal last week. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, let's just start with that, basically. Um, oh. I'm going to, this is, we're going to jump around a little bit everywhere, so we're not getting, you know, back and forth in your life. So just, let, let's just start. How important to life is music for you, personally? For me? Yes. Um, it really is the one thing that's always there. Um, and I've actually been surrounded uh, by it ever since I can remember because uh, I had two older sisters my parents listened to a lot of music um, a lot of Elvis a lot of country and western stuff like that but then my sisters it, when they were growing up it was the British invasion so it's always been around and, and, and um, I mean obviously very important uh, just by the fact I really got involved after so many years and started to play, you know, I was interested in so much that I started to play and a lot of people probably were slowing down when it came to playing. So, um, yeah, it is, it, it, uh, we still go to shows now to see bands that, um, you know, I, I wish I could have seen years ago. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of a different experience just due to the age factor and I mean, I'm not saying that I'm making it sound like when you get older, you can't play anymore. Obviously not true. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, even seeing it's, well, I guess seeing Pearl Jam over the years, I mean, I was not old enough to see their first shows, which were wild and crazy, but now like how their shows have transcended into being over three hours. Sure. It's just a different feel, but I mean, there's the energy, but it's just a different way of the energy. Yeah. Has, which is, I'm sure, obviously with a lot of the classic rock and, Jazz is probably the same way with a lot of that. And it's nice to see some guys still out there. I mean, they're in their 70s, and you're, you're, you're surprised. I mean, uh, last year we saw David Byrne twice. He's 67. And I, I just couldn't get over that. You know? he, he is 
he is something. I mean, I, I've listened to a couple interviews with him. Those of you who don't know, that is a uh, the lead singer of the Talking Heads and really the brainchild of that project. Um, he's just, yeah, he's a quirky, uh, he's a funny man. He's a inte- very intelligent, uh, he does things his own way. Absolutely. Definitely has his own methods of how he wants things done, but is, you know, very in control and knowing, you know, what he wanted. I don't know. Yeah, he's... It's, it's, uh... With him, it just seems like he's, there's always going to be a different way of doing things. You know, a different wall that he's going to break down. Uh, the last tour, and they're on Broadway now. Um, that stage, there was nothing on that stage but people and their instruments. That was it, the whole show. And it was very well done. And uh, I went down, I snuck down low. We were at Nautica just to kind of check it out. Because you, you do, I hate to say it, you suspect lip syncing, the way they were moving around so much. Everything was wireless, but it, it wasn't at all. It was, you know, the real deal. And Excellent that, band. And that's Excellent a great band. venue, too. I love that place. Right on the water there. You can see the ships go by every yes. now and then. It's always a very, very cool atmosphere in Nautica. Seen some good shows there. First time I saw, uh, second time I saw Primus was there. Oh, man. I saw Primus at Tower City, which is, like, right there, but not there. It's kind of weird, yes. like, on the other side of the... And it was a yeah Tower City, which is just like a giant fucking tent underneath the the the, the roadway there. It's yeah, not exactly. I, I went there once. <laughs> yeah, not, not the best venue, but uh, Primus. Yeah, there. Well, who? Which is I, like I was telling you a couple weeks ago, man. Bonnaroo, Oysterhead, Primus. Yeah. And Tool, all and within two days, which I'm not a festival guy because I get so sick of these bands playing festivals and being afraid to upset the uh the, the base of their fans so they or to, to of the rest of the audience they don't think it's their show so they play such a watered down set to 45 minutes of everything you've ever heard on the radio and he's like oh what the fuck i don't want to hear this yeah i gotta put a cd on and i imagine there's a few reasons why that would happen but uh some of them they can't it's they don't have the whole day to set up their show they have, what maybe an hour. So you're not gonna get you're not gonna get the full deal, right? You know, right? Time constraints. Yeah. Um, when did you start playing drums? Uh, I started playing drums when I turned thirty two. This back, uh, all right, nineteen eighty nine. <laughs> Why so late in life? Um, the. Growing up, uh, there, I don't think there was, uh, first of all, I wasn't disciplined enough as a teenager to get started in school. Uh, it was the 70s, there was a lot of activities going on outside of school. And uh, <laughs> but uh, and then uh, I got married real young and we had, we had uh, a couple of kids, a couple of girls. And then once, once they seemed to kind of be up and moving around and on their own, I started thinking about I kept going to concerts during that time, but I started thinking about why don't I try to play? I think I could. I think I can play the drums. It just I I really thought I could do it. Um, being I'm coming at it from a different angle because I'm a really good listener. I think, and I was a good listener early on as a teenager and all that. Uh, listened to a lot of music and uh, just decided one day to do it. So, did you? Or, so, I mean, you're self-taught. 
clearly, right? You didn't have, did you go to lessons? Did you I read had, books? I had, uh, I've had a lot of guys in this area really help me out early on. Uh, am I allowed to mention names? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, first of all, probably the first guy I played with, well, definitely the first guy I played with in a band, and I was I was awful. I was I was kind of self-taught for about two years, and I really, really had no clue what to do. I could get kind of through some easy songs, but I didn't understand steady time, syncopation, stuff like that, independence. Um, and the first guy I played with in the band was a bass player named Chris Bell, uh, who's lived in this area forever. And, uh, and then from him, he uh, was nice enough to suggest I hook up with a, a drummer in the area named uh, Jim Richley. And Jim is just an outstanding drummer musician, has been for a long time in the area. And uh, I probably worked with him or you could say studied with him for about two and a half years. I went to just about every gig he played. Uh, I got invited into studio sessions. Uh, the drum lessons were excellent. And it kind of steered me in a direction. And he goes, all I did was I pointed you in the direction and you went for it. And it just, I just grabbed onto it and just, you know, uh, invested time and money and effort. How many drum sets do you have? I have... Uh, Four acoustic sets and one electric. Nice. <laughs> Which is not really a lot. Some of these guys, I, a guy in Open Cleveland, he just, he loves Rogers. He's had like a hundred and some Rogers kits or something. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, who, who's your, uh, who would you say is your biggest influences musically as far as playing? As far as playing the drums? Yeah. Or music in general? Well, yeah, either or, both. Ooh. Hmm. I'd have to go with somebody early on, uh, as far as like music influence, and that would be Pete Townsend for sure. Uh, the way he, that band, and it's it's. I I always did like Keith Moon, but the material was there for Keith Moon in that band to play the way he did, and that comes from Pete Townsend. He wrote some of the best material ever, um, and really British guitar players. I liked him. Uh, Jimmy Page, of course. Um, but then there's, uh, I don't know, uh, I would say um, lately, uh, of course, got back to listening to King Crimson a lot, and I can really appreciate what Robert Fripp has done. Yeah. 50 years. That's crazy. Keeping that. You, you just saw him again, right? I'll yeah, keeping that, that, that world together. And, and the way they describe it, in fact, uh, Linda got me for Christmas, she got me the, uh, the King Crimson book. It's like 800 pages. Very interesting. That's mm -hmm. very cool. King Crimson. And there are many influences, Nate, you know? Yeah. Uh, when it comes to drums, my gosh, I, I can name uh, the simplest. The first guy I really sat down with, believe it or not, was the drummer from the band Crowded House. His name was Paul Hester, a little uh, Australian musician and it had a nice nice feel and, and a nice sound and uh, a really good player at, at the time it was about what I could handle like their slow songs that's about what I can handle on the drum set you know I kind of started with him and then it just went from there Stuart Copeland Jeff Picaro for sure a lot of Jeff Picaro I mean you know I knew at 31 32 years old and even Jim Bridgley had told me this. He goes, you're getting, you're getting kind of a late start, so you can't really, 
you can't really become like a big like technical drummer, you know, like some even like say a Neil Peard or any of those guys. And and it was you got kind of a late start in this, and I and I thought, well, I'll just become a solid groove oriented drummer that plays tastefully, and that's really where Jeff Picardo comes, and that's why I kind of gravitated toward him for a long time. Sat down with him a lot behind the drums, yeah, and borrowed, stole whatever, you know. Non musically influences just in life to you. Who are some of the biggest people that have? Oh gosh! I mean, personally, you know, it can be. We're talking family. We're talking writers. We're talking. Well, most definitely, my wife. Yeah. Um, Linda, because uh, um, you don't walk into the house and say, "I want a drum set," (laughs) 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 and I want to set up in the basement. And the whole house is going to shake, and I'm really going to sound like shit. And uh, you don't mind, do you, sweetie? And uh, and she just kind of laughed at first, and then when I, you know, I talked about it some more, and it's always been, well, go ahead. I mean, she's been always uh, trustful of my instincts on things, and uh, and what more can you say about that? And then the girls, of course, they've they've had to live with this. Sarah, Lisa, Emily, you know, all these years. And, uh, and just the people that I work with, you, Josh, uh, the bands I've been in, like Rainbow Tribe, um, Nine Cats, Blue Rays, a lot of musicians around here, excellent people to talk to about music and, and get really connected mentally uh, in a mental approach to music itself is Teddy Pentelis. I, I love talking to Teddy. Um, and... Uh, and then the guy I worked with for almost about 20 years, everybody knows in this area, Jeff Brenner, would always He's like the, the, the staple of bass player. Yeah. The, the, the embodiment yeah. of the bass player. Absolutely. His hands. But if you influence in life, um, I, I, you know, I kind of always felt like I was a, like a nonconformist, so I gravitated towards guys like George Carlin. The one I like you so much. I mean, and uh, not away from music, John Lennon for sure. And, uh, you know, uh, even Jim Morrison. Oh, I love Jim Morrison. You know, just that, that I'm just not going to do what you're telling everybody to do. I, I, I still think he's the best, worst, <laughs> best and worst. He, he gets both awards, best and worst rock frontman of all time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no. If you want to talk about a showman, I mean, obviously, I've never seen him live, uh, but uh, I mean, just seeing tapes and recordings, and I mean, I'm just like, wow. I mean, this man just he just fucking he just had it. I mean, it was. I would have loved to have just seen. You know, it's like, what are you gonna get tonight from Jim? You know, it could have been. I know, and and I always feel bad. A lot of these guys that 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 we lost a long time ago. And I always wondered what what could where would they have gone musically? What would they have done? What direction? You know, we've lost some really good ones. What do they call that? The, was it the Twenty Seven Club? Yeah, I think there's yeah. all kinds of. I mean, even yeah. recently, there's a whole bunch that that are in that. But yeah, it's sad. I I, I think I wonder if the, the age. You know, thinking of this more now in my mid thirties. I mean, that was. The late 20s was a pinnacle for me, myself, and how I viewed the world. You know, I, I think, obviously, you know, I, growing up, wanted to be, I was, you know, I've always been a mama's boy, but then, you know, you hit that, that, that white teen angst 
where you're just pissed off for no reason. Yeah. You got a great family. Yeah. Everybody loves you, but if you just one day you wake up and you're like, whatever you, everybody wants me to do, I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. And I think most kids go through that. I, I know that I did. Um, you know, So going from that to really having fun in my 20s, but using my 20s to really find myself, who I really want to be to the world. You know, not just the idea of what should I be doing, um, where should I be, but why. Yeah. And yeah. I and I, I could see that being, I mean, obviously I never had the money or the startup that these people had, but I could see how that that's where like the change and the transformation of really starting to understand yourself can go. And I could see how that could get rocky and how things could go downhill quick. Sure. Because, you know, it's almost like giving up a little bit of your, your, yourself to, to, to settle into who you really want to be. And I, I mean, I'm, I can't speak for them, obviously, but I, I wonder if that had something to do with how a lot of that went down. Obviously, we'll never know, but... Uh, yeah. Interesting point. Interesting point, yeah. yeah. But I know what you're saying. Yeah. Instead of, you know, it's... I mean, when you think about it, it's your life. So you get to make the choices. Do I want to settle or do I want to just push for a little extra? You know what I mean? Do I want to do what's interesting to me and it makes sense to me? I can't explain why. Um, that's how it was with uh, getting into playing the drums. I just knew I wanted to do it. I can't explain why. Uh, it just felt right. Even when uh, when we when uh, Linda was pregnant with Emily back in 95, uh, we were rehearsing in my basement. Well, obviously I got to get the drums out of the house. Baby's on its way. I got to do something. So in the back of my garage, I built a practice room in about two weeks time. And the whole time I'm working on it, I go, my God, this is so much work. I really should be out working. I took two weeks off to do it. And I'm trying to explain this to myself. Am I really into this this much where I'm willing to do this? Spend this money, build this room. And that was the, you know, the first room. And I just didn't think about it. I just, after a while, I just did it. And when it was done, it was just the greatest thing. I had my space, the guys came over, the sound was much better. You know, um, I'm a little stubborn about moving my drums for rehearsal. I hate to say it. So as you know, that's why we have, that's, that's why we have an excellent rehearsal space. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, the sound is way better than my hardwood floored home. Absolutely not. This is great here. I like this. Yeah. It's uh, it's something here. I, I I always forget how long I've actually lived here. People ask me all the time, "Are you still living in Youngstown?" I said, "Yeah." They're like, "Oh, still same house." How long you lived there? Five years. I'm like, "Uh, oh, it's about 11. What? Yeah, no shit. But uh, speaking of where I where I you know, where I live and stuff, where where did you grow up at? Um, I actually uh, as early as I can remember, I we lived on the east side of Cleveland. Uh, I was uh, one of four kids. I had two sisters and a younger brother who was uh, really sick when he was little. I think my bro little brother John spent the first 16 months in the hospital. Um, but we lived on the east side of Cleveland and we moved out of there when I was eight. Uh, and we moved to Avon Lake, which is up near Cleveland, about 20 miles west. And uh, of course, Lakeside uh, Cottage Town. You could walk down to the lake anytime you wanted. Um, just a really nice place to grow up in. 
And uh, that's really where I saw my first uh, live rock band. It was a band playing on the tennis courts over by the high school for 50 cents at the dance. And we would ride up there on our bikes and sit outside and watch the teenagers smoke cigarettes and try to act cool. And everybody had flip hairdos. And it was, you know, pay, lots of Paisley. Go blind looking at all the Paisley. I love Paisley. And then we moved, uh, I, we were there till uh, Lynn and I got married uh, late 70s and then we moved to Pittsburgh um, in the early 80s for a couple of years. And then I've been in, in this area since 85. Interesting area to live in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My, my dad tells me all the time, you know, he says, I, I, I tried everything I could to, to get out of the city because he grew up on the south side, you know, with the St. Thoms and everything. And he says, you know, I move out, and what you know, what does my only boy do? He moves right back in. <laughs> I said, you can't get in trouble in Greenford. Why do I want to live here? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm too far away from everything. I'm sick of driving home drunk, going thirty miles out. I don't need to be doing that. I want to be five minutes from things. Exactly. Uh, you'll never grow up. That's what I always say. <laughs> Hopefully not, Nate. No, I, not. trust me. I've, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I've, uh, I've mended some of my ways, but. Uh, Having fun is still... I, yeah, I still say life's easier that way. Just being a little bit of a shit is yeah. okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, your thoughts on your generation? Obviously, we're from two different generations here. Oh, my. Um, we're aging badly. <laughs> I think I'm doing okay. I think my wife's doing okay. Uh, but some of the other people I see, yikes. Um, but life, life will do that to you. A uh, great generation to grow up in. I had a blast uh, growing up through the 70s. Uh, we came out of Vietnam. It was after all that heaviness was winding down, which was a strange time to grow up in when, when you're younger, when you're like seven or eight or nine and it's on the news every day. Uh, it was like noise in the background. It was kind of sad. I remember my dad telling me that. He's like, yeah. you just don't understand. He's like, the Beatles started. He's like, it was the craziest thing. He says, we go home. You're sitting around. He says, next thing you know, you're smoking pot with your friends. You turn on the news. There's a guy walking on the moon. He's like, you're going to concerts every time, every, you know, yeah. all over the place. It's a little different world than what was really going on over there, you know. Yeah. But, um, and it's, it, it, it had gone on for so long. But, uh, no, uh, Excellent music, um, bad fashion, bad hair, disco. <laughs> but I had a good time. Uh, but still, you know, I'm still kind of old enough where there was a lot of old school stuff that I was taught and I really appreciate. And I'm stuck in kind of, especially when it comes to technology, I've probably thrown a couple printers on the floor, uh, thrown a phone at least once against the wall. <laughs> I'm an analog man like Joe Walsh, you know. It was good enough. It was all good enough. I don't know why it had to be adjusted, improved, and resold. You know, what are you going to do? What are your thoughts on my generation? From your vantage point, looking at what you see with my generation. Huh. Be Interesting. honest. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, different approaches, different thoughts. Um, I don't see your generation having children as early as like ours did. Um, but that support 
system isn't there anymore, I think. Uh, the jobs, good or bad, and the money that people used to be able to make to support four or five kids, not there anymore. It just isn't. And, and sad to come out of college and be so much in debt and you're trying to get the thing rolling. And um, I, think that, I think that's a shame that it works against you know, the younger people that way. Because it's hard getting going. It's hard getting started. It's hard finding out what you want to do. It's hard knowing who to trust when you're trying to do this, you know. But, um, and then in some ways, like technology and that, they have advantages we never had, you know. But with that comes impatience, lots of impatience, and a bit of a disconnect. These things called ADD mm -hmm. that we didn't see in other generations, these, these... And actually talking to people and listening to what they say and then giving them an answer, I... I I ran into somebody this morning, and every time I went to explain something to her, she interrupted me. She did it four times in a row, and the whole time she's got her phone in her hand. And then I went to say something, and she just said, uh, I'm not really even paying attention to what you're showing me. Now, this was a store manager. I was trying to show her something to save her, some, save her a nightmare, you know. But I can't be cool, but it's that kind of thing sometimes. Just sometimes you run into it. Yeah, I've, I'm to the point with, and I, I've done this, well, you know, we're in the little flying trees group chat every now and then, but then so you see some of the stuff. But I don't, I, I've told most of my good friends, um, and they know because I just stopped responding because I just I get so fed up with the technologies and things to where it's like I, I just I want to if I'm not going to see you I, I'd like to at least hear your voice yeah we've gotten to the point with so many things where you know everybody's so damn busy and this and that to where it's okay I get it we, we all have our lives I understand that but it's like I would rather you call me and if I can't answer um, let me call you back when I can and have a conversation about it. Yeah. Now I get it, a, a, you know, a nice group message when you're trying to schedule things, it all makes sense. And I, that's so much easier for everybody. And I understand, but it's funny because, you know, most of the people that I talk to anymore on a, on a you know, on, on a, I don't say daily, but a weekly basis are five to 10 years younger than me. So they, they, mm -hmm. they grew up with this idea and you know, whatever, man, just, you know, so I just stopped answering texts and now to the point to where they know if they want to see me, yeah. They want it. To, they want me to be involved. They call me, and they don't like it, but I don't care because yeah. I get to hear. It and I'm like, you know, this, what are you doing? Where are you going? I, like, I, you know, I, I don't want to be sitting on my phone all day. But I don't have to. Just call me. Let's just get it through. Let me yes. hear your voice. Yes. Let me see how you. I can tell how you're feeling with your emotions through the way you're speaking to me. Exactly. The texting is so like one dimensional. Uh, how many things get taken? You know how many girls I've texted in my life where I said a statement, and the right punctuation or However, I said it was taken <laughs> to this world that I didn't even know existed. And it was just like, uh, and, and, and I always come back to, well, this would be a lot easier if you just pick up the fucking phone. Sure. Like you did in the old days. <laughs> right. You know, the use of the human voice. Uh, I, I, uh, human you know, it's, it's, uh, it, I, uh, it's a weird saying, but I always say it's stepping over a dollar to pick up a quarter. Sometimes it feels like you're you're going forward one step back to some yeah. of the stuff like we're saying with that. Yeah. You know. Oh, technology as good as it's done. I mean, I, I've said this multiple times on this thing. Everything else, it, it just 
I, there's going to be a day where people are going to get married, I think, over a fucking text message or something. It's just, it's going to be, it's ridiculous where yeah. it's got to the, to the people. I can't have conversations with, with the younger youth at times because they don't know how to act in social situations True. because they haven't been in enough. Yeah. They know how to sit and listen if they have to yeah. and just wait to get their phone out and figure it out. You, I always thought the whole point of, you know, K through 12, obviously you learn the fundamentals of, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, but you're not really learning that much. I think what you learn more than anything in those whole years is what kind of people are on the earth and how to deal with them. Yeah. That was what I learned more than anything Yeah, was just sensing, you know, studying people and seeing their, you know, their actions and their emotions and knowing now the order that I get. It's funny. I was just thinking this the other day, you know, the, to, to judge a character, how anybody approaches you anymore, you know, somebody you talk to, don't look at the way that they speak. Like I've noticed, I can't look at the way they talk to me because they're going to talk to me. They're going to give me the best that they have because they're, you know, they're talking sure. to me, but you watch them and how they deal with everybody else Yeah. and how just to somebody they know or not know. And that tells you so much about people. Yeah. What are they saying? And how much truth do they tell them? Or you know, do they are they invoked in a conversation? Do, do they look? And it, it, it's it's crazy because I really think you could tell a lot about a gen, the genuineness of a person just strictly by observing when they're not speaking to you. Yeah, you know, because right. they're they're gonna especially if they're interested in you. If it is the opposite side, I'm not even saying it has to be you know because of a, yeah. a dating situation, but you know, nobody's gonna come to your face and tell you you know well, I don't really fucking care what you're saying. But you'll see that with somebody else. Oh, man, I see the way they treat everybody else. Why would they treat me any different? Are you trying to get something from me or is this just who you are? Exactly. So, exactly. Anyway, getting off topic. Uh, oh, okay. Let's talk about this Puny Village Music Festival. Puny Village? Well, the Puny Village originated in 1997 when we used to live over on Route 165. And I think the bands that played that show was... Uh, Nine Cats, it was a blues band with Chris Bell and John Uhas and John Waller and a guy named Ted Karam who drove all the way from Canton for the gig um, and Rainbow Tribe. And then we did it again the next year and then we moved and we kind of put it on the shelf and we did a lot of 4th of July parties at the new house. And then a couple of years ago, uh, I was inspired by my friend Nate Chisbar and his Cornapalooza Fest, which is in its 198th year this year. <laughs> and um, hopefully I'm playing this. I'm not sure he hasn't. I haven't got my invite yet. There's going to be an audition this year. I get him by last October. Um, but uh, So we brought the puny back three years ago. The first year was a little sketchy. The second year was a little better. Last year was just outstanding. Uh, of course, Flying Trees played. Excellent set. And Teddy Pentel has played. And... Uh, we have big Bill Fisher and what a fifth of blues and and uh, sounds now and of course November Loop. It was it's at our house in uh, North Lima, Ohio on one sixty four and we're doing it again this year of course August first. It's a Saturday, the first Saturday in August, under the big tent, and um, lots of food, huh? And Nate's gonna uh, do uh, fishing classes down by the pond. It's something that I love so much. Yes, he loves fishing. Yes. Um, my father taught me how to fish well. And <laughs> I've really made the craft my own. My dad took me out once. <laughs> he even bought all the poles and everything. We're going to start doing this. 
we went out one time, and he was like, I mean, it's kind of a pain in the ass. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not for everyone. It's funny. work. I, I think it's work. And, you know, but looking at my father, the way that he is, he yeah. can't, he's got that old Catholic guilt to where yeah. he can't sit still. So, you know, he said to me multiple times the way that he feels is if he did, if he's, if it's the, if it's a Sunday and he's not working, he feels guilty. Like he doesn't even deserve to eat because he didn't do anything yeah. productive that day. Yeah. So even his hobbies, cutting wood. Or busy work. Fish. And, yeah. and this isn't things where, and he's not the type of guy because he barely drinks to just have a couple beers and just talk. I remember being a young kid and I got so excited the first time he wanted to take me fishing. It was a Saturday. I was with dad. I got away from my sisters. Just me and dad doing male bonding time. We go out to this lake. We're in this little canoe. And he says, okay, don't, don't talk, don't move, just scared of fish, just sit here. So I'm like, okay, okay. Well, I'm what, you know, nine years old, eight years yeah. old. And after about 10 minutes, I'm like, this isn't any fun. I feel like I'm in timeout or something. Yeah. I did something wrong. <laughs> and he's just, you know, okay, don't, yeah. don't say, don't, don't move much. You're going to scare me. I was, so I, 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 to this, I literally never, and, and never between the two of us, we both know people who love it to death. And I think it's great. You have to have that one thing that you, that you really enjoy to do. Obviously, um, ours is music and other people and stuff like fishing or hunting or, you know, stamp collecting or, you know, uh, I, they just uh, had the auction for the Lionel train set. Did you see that? No, I did not. A guy named Ronnie Rapp built this collection of Lionel trains. It's worth thirty-five thousand bucks, I think. It was, and it's like four hundred pieces. Wow! And they they were actually auctioning it off this week. But just you know, that's you know, it's nice. They have their thing that that's just them. They can go to and you know. We all got to have it. Yeah. Is it with the spirit, though, as far as how we are as individuals? I mean, I guess, I don't know. I I feel like if my hobbies all are around some type of creation, I'm creating something or trying to, you know, and I think where I'm not saying, I mean, you know, you're creating, you could create dinner with fishing, but like, it's not really mental as much as physical where I guess, I don't know. I enjoy the idea. Even, even playing as much. I don't, you know, I, I've, I don't mind playing. I told you this last week. I don't mind playing gigs. Um, at times, it's fun. It's it's never terrible. I'm never pissed off that I have to play out live. But that's not the reason I enjoy playing music. You know, the, the writing process and trying to create something. Oh, yeah. It's just so much fun. And that's where it's just endless. And, you know, you're always... What, what, what could you do next? I can honestly tell you the last three years I've had the most fun playing. Really? Um, uh, it's... Mainly, well, of course, I've been playing with three different bands, but there's been a lot of rehearsals. All of it's been new material for me, and it's consistently, there's more new material added. And I mean, we rehearsed uh, with November Loop last night, and the first half hour was made up right on the spot. Um, and then we tried to break it down from there. I just love doing that. I like putting the pieces and parts together, helping each other, you know, get through it. Um, and then I do love doing the gigs if it's a really good night. I, to me, one of the greatest feelings when it, when it comes to doing music and, uh, is as you're walking up to go play. 
everything's set up, especially if you got a nice crowd and you're walking up to go play that, whatever it takes, that five seconds to walk up there and get behind the drums, there's something about that that's just, oh, you know, like you, like you felt like you earned the spot to be there. The adrenaline's you know? pumping. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's just that invisible wall you walk through. There's really nothing there. Try to get, when you're up on stage sometime, try to get one of your friends to hop up on stage with you. Oh, no, 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 that's, that's okay. We're talking to the mic. <laughs> that strange invisible wall, you know? Man, public speaking is something I've never, I've never gotten nervous. I don't, I don't think I've ever, the only time I ever got nervous playing was years back when I was having chest pains about three or four years ago. And I would just get them, you know, I, I finally I found out most of it's from my diet and probably excess of just anxiety from drinking way too much the night before. Yeah. But that was the only time that I ever got a little anxious and like a little nervous to play. Other than that, I don't think I ever... Do you get nervous before you ever like live performances? Oh, man. Maybe just a bit. I mean, not enough. To, I mean, I've never no. noticed it on you. The no. way that you'd say anything differently, or well, I know this for a fact. Um, when it comes to doing gigs, and that alcohol doesn't work for me at all. I, I, and this goes way back. I was playing in the band called Bonehead Soup, and uh, we were playing over the old Piat Street. And by the way, shout out to my friend Botch. He was our bass player, John Kovach, excellent friend. Um, and I had some other friends come out for the gig, and we had. I had a couple of bourbon and gingers and all that, and then I get to the gig and I have a couple more. And then I went up and, went and tried to play the drums and I recorded it. And a couple days later, I listened back to it and I took the tape out and I threw it on the ground. I said, that's the last freaking time I go up there drunk. I'm not doing that shit. It's too much work, too much effort. I'm, I'm pulling the rug out from under myself by doing it. And I'm hurting the band. Yeah. And the music's going to sound like shit. Yeah. Guaranteed. And of course, you know, with alcohol comes volume and that doesn't help. But um, used to get nervous in the early days. The worst I ever got nervous was I subbed for Jim Richley in the, uh, the pit orchestra for My Fair Lady. And I had to learn like, I don't know, 80, 80 pages of music. And I'd never done anything like this before, ever, ever, ever. And I recorded the show with him and I practiced it, but I went up to do the show. And Nate, my hands were like stone. I had to do all these roles. I couldn't do anything. It was just like club. I was just clubbing. And I was missing cues, and it was, it was rough. It was so bad that when we got to the intermission, I walked out and said to the bass player, Sean, do you think if I left, anybody would notice? <laughs> and then, uh, actually, the conductor was a very cool guy. I think he was from Allegheny College. And he just said, Nick, I had to do another show the next week. He goes, you'll be fine. Spend some more time on it. It's no problem. And that that right there made it so much easier to come back the next week. And I was much more prepared and, and really did a much better job. Like, was actually comfortable in playing it. And, you know, the mistakes were down to just a few. Yeah. You know, I don't like to... My biggest fear is to go up there and embarrass myself. I don't like if I miss a part, you know, or transition in a song or an intro. You know, because really... Uh, we all depend on each other when we're up there playing, but they're, you know, I know people are listening, and if the drummer's a little off, it it makes the thing shift, you know? I think of how many nights when we first started playing, 
me, Josh, and Pat years ago in here. You know, like I said, I was telling you, you know, they were basically both lived here before they both got their own places on the weekends. Um, but we would always, we would record everything, even if it was just to our phones. We didn't care. We recorded everything. We go, oh, this is the greatest thing we've ever made. <laughs> and we were up till fuck, three o'clock in the morning and yeah. we just thought we had some gold. And we would play it the next day after we came to and woke up and it was like the simplest, maybe two notes, most of it. Yeah. And off drum beat, I'm just like, ah, oh, that was garbage. It just seemed so much cooler, but I'm happy we that didn't get, that's not going to go anywhere with anything. But no, I can't, yeah, no, that's, that and, you know, it's, it's funny when I see, I, we've talked about this because I know how much you appreciate a live show. Um, I, I don't, as, as much as I actually do like to drink, I, I don't much when I see a show that I actually want to see because I, I don't want to. A, I don't want to say ruin being drunk. I would never get that far into it anyway. Yeah. But even more importantly, I don't have to go to the fucking bathroom to miss something <laughs> because I care that much. Yeah. So I'm almost dehydrated. Then I'm sweating through the show. I mean, it's just, I mean, hell, seeing, I mean, I still have this, I have, it's in my brain, hopefully forever if I don't go senile or whatever someday. But seeing Tool just a couple months back, seventh row, and just staring at my... Yeah. Favorite idol of all time, Justin yeah. Chancellor, playing the bass yeah. and just studying his movements. I was, I was like, this, this, there's, there's not a, there's never been a woman. There's never been a drug. There's never been a food. There's never been a feeling that's made me feel this way. Yeah. This is like the next level. Yeah. And it's funny. I was talking to a guy at a party last week, uh, gentleman in divorce in his mid fifties, and um, I think it was something from Dark Side of the Moon came on, and just they had music on in the background. And he was having a conversation about this and that, and we were just, you know, laughing this and that, and he just got this serious look on his face. And, uh, and I was like, well, what's up? He's like, you know this song, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, of course I know this song. And uh, we just started talking about it, and then, and then that shifted the whole conversation, this big music talk. And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, this might sound crazy, but I said, you know, I don't think there's ever been a climax or anything sexual that I've ever felt. <laughs> That has done for me what music has done for me. And I was thinking at this point, he's going to start laughing. Yeah. He looks back at me, pants, looks me straight in the eyes and goes, well, yeah, we all figured that out a long time ago. That's so temporary. But this, nothing can move you like music. I was like, yeah. oh, wow. And he wasn't, he's not even a player. He's just a, just yeah. a fan of music in general. Yeah. But I just, yeah. I thought that was funny. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that, that's a, uh... That kind of never goes away. When you go see an, an, another great band and then they, they, whatever that song is, whatever that spot is, you know, that, uh, even, um, like when I went and saw Fish last summer and we were seventh row. And where was it at? It was at Blossom. Okay. And we were on Mike Gordon's side of the stage, the bass player. Yeah. And all you do is watch Mike Gordon's head as he's nodding and you know where the time is, no matter what they're doing. And um, just uh, just listening to them and being so close, um, and just the groove, the way the groove felt, and the room, the room around you, the way people were moving around. That's you know, it's just a whole different experience. Um, I remember about six years ago, we went and saw a band called the Musical Box up in Cleveland. Now they they are from uh, Quebec, Canada, and they do a Genesis tribute show. But it's a reenactment. It's not a tribute show. It's they actually went back and found all the slides and 
uh, all the instrumentation, and, and um, there's no computers up there. And they do the whole thing. If it's, if it's, and what they did was they did Lamb Lies Down on Broadway from start to finish. And I never got to see the original show. I was I like got there too late. I got the album and I didn't get to the to get to see that version of the band. Uh, Peter Gabriel had left, and so I waited how many years to hear this music played live, and these guys played it from one end to the other with a complete theatrical presentation, and just like you're saying, I mean the back of my neck, you know, in certain parts like I were just like you couldn't get your breath. Yeah, you know, right. Linda was the same way. She was sitting next to me. She's like, I can't believe this. Why do you think it is that you and I are so captivated by a good show? Because we pay attention. Because and we appre good, the appreciation, would you say? And we're good listeners. Yeah. And okay. we pay attention. That makes sense. And you f focus on some of the details. You know? And, uh, and it's not like tunnel vision or, or selective hearing. If something is good... You know, you're going to like it. Yeah. It's presented well. You know, if you, you know when somebody's half-assing it. Yeah. You know. Going through the motions. And I mean, that's, uh, by the way, um, much to his memory, Neil Peart. Um, yeah, who we lost in the last I, uh, week. I saw all your tributes on Facebook were very, yeah, very nice. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think, uh, I, th I, saw the, I saw the band 12 times. And different, and I sat in different spots each time, and of course, all eyes were on Neil. First time was when I was a senior in high school, and he was like right in front of me, and I had no idea he was going to do any of that. And that's back in the, a lot of stick tossing and twirling, and they were very aggressive, and they were starving, and you'd never have known it. But um, um, that's uh, just, uh, I guess my point was, um, what was my point? <laughs> uh, why we appreciate a, a good show because we're listeners. Well, I don't know where we that going? band. Uh, like I said about bands, maybe half-assing it. They never could do that. They can't. They couldn't do it because the music was so complex, and the people listened hard. Yeah. Like you listen hard, their fans listen hard, and they know. They know, and uh, so they could. They could never have gotten away with. Well, knowing their character too, not not that they're that they knew they had to be on their toes, but as you could just tell, they it's they wouldn't do anything half. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, I yep. agree with that, but it's just yep. they're very. I mean, yeah. Usually, bands are that technically amazing. I mean, you know, they're they're there for perfection, and they. Yeah, I saw them once. Yeah, and I I was it was outside at. Uh, the, I don't know what I always forget what the fuck they call it now. It's Star Lake, whatever it's called now in Pittsburgh and Burgettstown in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's not in Burgettstown. Was it the Vapor Trails one when they first came back? Yeah, that's when I saw them, and it was it was. I mean, I've seen a lot of shows, but I mean, it was just. Yeah. I was surprised. It was fucking loud. I mean, even for being outside, and I and I remember my dad saying, "Cause he saw him before, and he always said he saw him with believe it. I think the Presto tour yeah. with Neil Young. He was no. telling me." Whatever tour he saw was with Neil. I said, there's no way. He's like, there's I no swear way. to you. Neil Young, he said he was the oddest pairing of two people. And let, I mean, it was the 70s. I was just like, are you fucking sure you saw Neil Young and Rush and the same bill together? He's like, I'm almost positive. Oh, man. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, he was, he was saying to me, speaking of odd pairings, that uh, he saw, uh, who was it? Uh, Yes, and they had the Eagles open up for him. Okay. 
which he said was, you know, a disaster because anybody who was there to see Yes, yeah, you know, they come out and they're yeah. playing. What was that? I got seven women on my mind. This alone, yeah. oh, I don't want to touch me three. It's just like, he's like, get the fuck off this. We don't want to hear this shit. It's like monkeys and Jimi Hendrix. And... Yeah. yeah, but uh, um, all right, uh, where was I at here? I've seen some strange pairings. I've seen some really great shows too, where multiple bands it was just outstanding brutal lineup you know we went to uh grew up at a time when they had the world series of rock at the cleveland stadium and i think i went to every show in the summer of 75 i should say we did all these shows i've been to and all this music stuff my wife's been with me like 90 percent of the time you know it's, it's see that, really that's got to be nice to be that compatible she's with somebody an excellent where... listener yeah. And I mean, even, and Rush really, let's say Rush back in the day really wasn't a quote chicks band or a girls band. We went to that show. She loved him instantly. You know, Getty's voice was a little rough. I'll give her that. Yeah. You know, what was, was there, was Working Man their first big song? Yeah. That was, that was their first album, right? What yeah. Was it, what year was that? 74, 73, 74. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, the song, what, nine minutes long? I mean, mm-hmm. to, to have that be, you know, and especially radio play. Yeah. You know, usually, you know, if it's over five minutes, they're, I don't know if they ever did at the time, they were chopping or whatever at some point, yeah. but to know that you're, you know, your first single that you probably came, you come out with is nine minutes and the radio's like, oh, okay, we'll play it. Uh, I mean, FM. It was FM. Yeah. That was, I mean, you could, they throw on an album site. No big deal. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. Uh, what motivates you to want to play in general? I just really enjoy playing. I uh, and it'll even be if you just hear something on the radio, or I don't listen to radio that much, but if you hear just some some song, and, and immediately I start thinking about the drum part, and then I think about maybe I could go home and play it. And, and it's nice to know that I can do that. I can remember when I, before I started playing the drums and I would listen, even the Zeppelin, listen to Bonham and God, how does he do that? And I could kind of follow it on the drums, but that was it. But now, you know, I can hear it. I can go home. I can sit down. I can try and play. You know, that's, that's what, uh, that's just what I like about it. It's just, uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. Something that just kind of uh, is part of your makeup, I guess, once you get so much into it. I enjoy working with the musicians I've worked with, for the most part. There have been a few interesting ones. Which <laughs> lots, is... Lots of no-shows. Yeah, well, I mean, which is, it's even, that's the thing where, you know, the, the bonding with who you're playing with, regardless of how technically good or bad you are at times, means so much more. You know, because you, you could be playing with two other very talented people, regardless if they're stubborn or not or whatever, but you don't know that it's either the chemistry's there or not. Yeah. You know, you could look on paper. I think I know how many times it was like, you know, these, these bands, like they would pull players and they just said they want to play together. And it was, you know, this great singer with this great bass player. I was like, oh my God, yeah. I love all these. This is going to be great. Yeah. And they never released anything because it was just like, yeah. it just wasn't that good. Yeah. You know, it's just, just because your friends or you think that, that doesn't always, you know, transcribe into actually becoming something notable to yeah. play. And as time has gone on, you know right away, if you sit down, if somebody invites you over, I actually went and sat in with something up in, you know, with a couple guys up in Cleveland about six months ago, and I knew in the first four bars this wasn't for me. 
It wasn't what I was told it was going to be. It was too loud, and it was kind of a mess. And I just knew then, not going to happen. And, uh, I, you know, I really love the part of being, like, supportive guy in a band. And that, let's say things are a little shaky, and then you come in and you provide steady time and some good ideas, and it kind of helps bring the thing up a little bit. Absolutely love that. Because I like looking around the room and seeing how everybody just goes, wow, okay, you know, this does, this can sound a little better. This does feel a little better. That's, that's the thing to get yeah. the reaction. That's one thing. When I played in the reggae band and uh, with Rainbow Tribe, I used to love to watch the people dance. I can't dance. I suck at it. Don't get me out there. But playing those reggae grooves and the, and the Grateful Dead stuff, even though I'm not a fan, uh, where I would place that beat and watch their reaction to it, you know, you'd control the room. It's so cool, you know? And if I'd stop, and the rest of the band would stop. And, you know, in, playing by instinct is, is, is tricky, but it's a lot of fun. And you have to trust each other, you know? But that, well, that brings a good that's point. That's my take on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't, so why you, you brought up Rainbow Tribe, why don't you, uh, from the beginning, list all the bands you've played with. Oh my if you, gosh. If you could think of Well, we started out with something called the BBR Project, which was pretty rough. We did a biker gig with that one, which was interesting. Then I went from that to uh, something called Bonehead Soup for about a year and a half. And then from that to something called Nine Cats um, for about a year. And then joined Rainbow Tribe. And I was in Rainbow Tribe for about 17 years, off and on. Um, and a lot of you know great guys in that band: John Waller, uh, John Uhas, Jeff Bremer, Jimmy Dudash. Um, I even did a uh, keyboard drum duo with Jim Dudash. We did probably a dozen shows together, which was always fun. Um, and then from that to um, a band up in Avon, Avon Lake. I went on up there and played there for about a year. Uh, something called the Winged Band which was just more classic rock, which is just to kind of do it to stay sharp. And, and they were, they were old friends of mine. And then from that to, um, geez, man, uh, fat Albert Einstein. We did three years of fat Albert Einstein. What, what style was that? And that was classic <laughs> rock, but that was some good, good shit. We were, we were pulling some stuff out. We were doing stuff like ramble on and have a cigar. So it was a cover band, but yeah, definitely a cover band. And some of John Newhouse's original material that we had worked on, over the years, you know. Um, and that was with John Pelicaris, John Moss, uh, Randy, Randy Rayfroth on bass, and, and Dudash. And, uh, and then that thing kind of fell apart, and uh, I, I started doing um, the Blue Rays with John Pelicaris and Jeff, and we did that off and on for about 10 years. And then I worked with uh, a father and son, uh, Jim and James Ballack, in a band called, well, we ended up calling it the Coconuts after a while. <laughs> Another cover band. And then I joined November Loop about three years ago. And then I reunited with John Uhas and John Waller. And uh, that project is The Sounds of Now. Uhas is something, he, he's, he's yes. a character and a half. And, like, and, that and, guy on the mic is just, he's just, he's just funny as hell. It's, it, it comes at a really good time in our life. Uh, a lot of good things happened for John Uhas and John Waller and um, and myself, and we just added Chris Wetzel on bass, who's just been outstanding, and so th that's really been 
a lot of fun and just very active. I mean, my gosh, rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. I think we're getting together on Saturday now. And then I got asked to join this other band, um, the infamous Flying Trees, who I've had a blast playing with. Just good times. Really, really good times. I, I like what we do. I like uh, I like what Josh does. I like that angular you know, I I, guitar I, I I was with Josh Saturday night, and I was driving back, and I and I and it's funny because he always you know I, he knows most of my deepest darkest secrets about yeah. life, and at times my life has been a little more than he wants to know. Yeah. So <laughs> we're driving back, and I was like, "Listen, man, I gotta tell you something." And he's just like, he you know he gets this look like, "Oh shit, what's shit gonna say now? Like you know, where's this going?" Yeah. And I was like, "Josh, I want to tell you something." And I and I and I told him, I said, "I wholeheartedly believe this," and I said. I said, you know, you know how much I love music. I said, you know what it means to me. I said, I'm not talking about just local or people that I know. I said, the, your, your approach to the electric guitar, Josh, which you, you know, playing, never wants any stardom, never wants any starlight, never wants to make anything at all about him, even, no, when, it no, should, very, even when it should be at times yeah, to, make, to make everything else actually easier for everybody else, yeah. to where he actually at times won't sing when he should, because he is a good vocal. Yeah. But just doesn't want to do anything. Unlike me, when I sing, I really freaking <laughs> well, should. I, fuck, I sing Psycho Killer. I mean, it's that. Do, do a fine job, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah uh, it takes, dude, it takes balls to stand up yeah. there and sing. I appreciate I, it. I wish I had a voice. I, I always wish I had a voice. I just, I yeah. don't like to say, you know, nobody's ever been like, you have a really good voice. You know, so, I mean, I know it myself. I'm not mad about it. I would rather play the bass, but I wish I could sing more. Because if I could, yeah. I don't have stage fright. I would love to. Yeah. You know, I would not be, I don't know. I don't think I'd take it singer song writer route to make it all about me yeah. but uh, I would have no problem being like well if we're going to need a singer I guess I can do it you know but yeah. I just I, I, yeah but anyway back to what I was saying um, I told Josh and I, I just and I, I said it to, and he just kind of looked at me I was like I was like, listen man I said your approach to the guitar and how you play I've never played the guitar mm. I've only ever played the bass but I yeah. said I feel like if I did what you play on certain things that we create is exactly what's in my head for if I could play, I would try to do. And I said, you know, you're one of my favorite players that I've ever actually heard. And I said, and I mean that. Yeah. And he just looked at me like, all right, what do you want? You know, I said, no, no, I'm just making a statement. I said, yeah. you don't understand. Like, I truly believe that the way that you play, and you, you even mentioned it to him at our last practice, how, you know, we were you were saying how with Primus, you know, yeah. Larry Lalonde and stuff, how it's just, yeah. you know, the bass in that band is the focal point of the band. And he just kind of, yeah. which is, Josh is so good at. I mean, he doesn't, the thing is he doesn't want to play leads and he doesn't think he can play leads. But at times he gets into this lead role and it just, it's so talented at how he, it's, I don't know, it's very creative. Yeah. And it's, it's almost in a way like you've got like a, the bass and drums are, are painting this painting, and then this guitar player comes in, and his approach, his whatever angular approach or delay approach, now he's going to put something over that that'll change that, but it won't be the same as what they're doing, or it won't be the same as everybody else would do. You know, it's more of an atmospheric thing. It's one thing I always liked about Peter Gabriel, when he talked about music, he always talked about atmospheres and sound, making atmospheres with sound. That's why I always like to listen to. I'm not a big like Guitar Hero guy. It doesn't track me at all. None of that 
Van Halen stuff gets me at all. Yeah. I like sounds. I like elongated sounds that, that give you something. Right. You know. No, but, I agree. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can appreciate a guy who can play his mind off and, I mean, technical as hell. And, just... and definitely, Josh definitely does that. I keep them coming. Keep the sounds coming and, yeah. you know, I'll find something to put around it. It's, you know, uh, it's same like in November Loop that Sarge and Chip Taylor, both of them, different approaches to the guitar, totally different sounds and contrasts, but they work so nicely together. And then and then you got Mad on bass, you know, with his Paul McCartney bass. It's a... Interesting band. That band is very Excellent. airy and spacey and floaty, which I love. Yeah. This the side of the nineties, the alternative side that was a lot of that music. It had an edge to it, but there was that, that room for the space yep. and all these sounds that yep. were coming into play. And that's that's I mean, I th- the last time I heard you guys, what was it? Jared Oliver's house, I think. Last summer. Yeah. Memorial Day or whatever. And I was and I was I mean, I've heard you multiple times, but I was like, I, I remember I paid attention to the entire show. I was just like, man, I was like, I'm happy. I, mean, I was just really enjoying it. I remember I was sitting next to my mother. She's like, you know, they are really good. I said, yeah, they are good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's nice when uh, Jill comes into town, too. She'll play bass, and then, you know, Matt will go over and play keyboards. That's, that's always nice, because she was she's very, still a very important part of that band, you know. And uh, we have her on a, on, a, on a message thread, and she knows everything that goes on. Nice. It's nice. Shout out to Henry, too, by the way. Um, craziest concert experience. Give me, give me one. Oh, something, something just absolutely mind-blowing that happened. Easy, easy. And this has really nothing to do with music. It was the Mosquito Dam Jam. It was in Warren, Ohio, at the Trumbull County Fairgrounds. It was August of 76. It was like the last real big blowout before I just we had just graduated high school. So this is this is it and in another week everybody's taken off to college or whatever. Your world's gonna be completely different than what you've been used to. And I talked to a couple of friends into going to this concert and I should have known there was trouble when we got there because they never took your ticket. And then we walked into this thing and it was set up in the in the uh, in the fairgrounds. They hadn't cut the grass in about a month, so it was about a foot high. Grasshoppers everywhere, shitty, shitty sound system, horrendous stage with no covering, and you had, oh my God, you had uh, Bob Seger, <clears throat> a band called Stars that were they were on the label with the same label as Kiss, um, Jay Giles Band, Blue Oyster Cult, um, I'm guess I think I'm missing somebody in there, but it rained before Jay Giles Band came on. And uh, they they tried to set up, and it was just the weather was awful. And uh, they tried to set up, and they couldn't do it. They ended up just saying, we can't play. And then everybody went nuts. They threw everything they had at the stage. I mean, everything. It's back then when the two-liter bottles weren't plastic. They were right. glass, and people were throwing them like footballs. Before Cleveland Browns bottle gate. So. Oh, yeah. And the crowd was way out of control. There's all these country guys out, you know, out in the sticks, getting drunk. They'd been there since the night before. The sheriff's department comes in, and they're like, everybody, please calm down. And I had been told by somebody that in the trailer behind the stage was where all the money was for the show, and somebody had broken in there and, and had stolen the money for the gig. And supposedly the guy that promoted this thing, I, it was years before it was settled in court. There were lawsuits all over the place. Wow. 
but uh, much to their credit, as we were getting poured on and lightning and all that, um, they just said, if you can just hang for a bit, Blue Oyster Cult are on their way, just stay here, they're going to come play. And they showed up, they flew in in a helicopter, and they had half the lights and half the sound because it rained so much, they blew up, they lost some power. And they went up, they did an hour and 20 minutes with half of everything. Was it? And actually got people to pay attention and calm down and get into the music. And then once that happened, and everybody just kind of went home, but then it was, it was just nuts, man. Probably the scariest I've ever been in a crowd. Just in yeah. a crowd. Yeah, the, the, uh... And, you know, I've been to big stadium shows, and there was nothing like that, you know? It just was really, really badly organized. That is a lot of them work back then. You know, that's along with the god-awful sound. Man, it, sounds, it was so bad. Uh, it seems like the dollar was more important than the actual experience yeah. to the pr whoever promoted it or whoever. Yeah, what's the, what's the biggest disaster you've been to? Biggest disaster? Shit. I don't know if I've been to a disaster. I would say, well, the craziest... I would, well, I wouldn't say disaster, but the craziest concert experience I've ever been to, I was at Lollapalooza in Chicago with my cousin. We call him Sideshow because his hair looks like Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons. Yeah. He's a few years older than me. Uh, just had a second baby and got married in the last year. Um, uh, but anyway, <laughs> so, so we're watching Primus. That's the whole reason we went. He loves Primus. And I went yeah. and Primus wasn't playing anyway around it. it just, yeah. That was before Lollapalooza. Well, now, you know, it used to be a traveling tour in the early 90s, but then it just became in Chicago. Now they do it in like Chile and they do it in a couple other places. But anyway, so we're there and it's about their second song. And I remember it was, it was, it was, uh, I think it was like the first week in August and we were staying in a hotel in Chicago and there's heat advisors, you know, if you don't have to go outside today, don't do it. It's that hot. Yeah. The air is that stale. So we're, we're yeah. in Lincoln Park, which is, there's no trees, there's no covering, there's no shade. Yeah. So we get there, I'm just like, oh, all right, whatever. So we get there, it's hot, obviously, and uh, we drank, I mean, just a couple, I think it was... It was a couple cakes. But Butter Bud Light <laughs> was the, and it, you know, it was $10 even back then. I think this was like 2007. Yeah. But, it, you know, the prices were still ridiculous for everything. Sure, but, so we're, we're standing in the crowd, and I remember... You know, my cousins, he's like, man, I got, he's like, this stupid beer is gave me such a headache. He's like, I, I, I need, you know, so this, this artsy looking guy in front of us, you know, pulls out a little peace pipe and, uh, he's, you know, he's just, he just has like, you know, a little bowl and he's smoking pot and my cousin just says, you know, he kind of looks at me, he looks over and he says, Hey man, he goes, I hate to be that guy. He's like, I, I'm not, he's like, I don't even smoke all the time. But he's like, I got this killer headache. He's like, I just want to know, man. He's like, can I just get one hit off you? He's like, I'll pay. I'll give you a couple bucks. He's like, I'm not trying. I'm yeah. not going to bother you all day. Yeah. He's like, I just want one hit. I think I'll feel better. Yeah. So the guy looks at him and he says, I play with the Chicago Symphony. He goes, I'm just going to warn you right now. This is really good shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So. Think about that musician world. Right. My cousin puts on his big boy pants and says, well, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, and I think I know a thing or two about good marijuana. Yeah, Youngstown Brown, that's what he knows about. So <laughs> he takes a hit, and about five minutes later, he's like, he's like, oh, man, I feel so much better. I feel so much better. And that turns into about 15 minutes later, as Primus is playing, and I'm yeah. losing my mind because I love seeing them live. 
Um, he looks at me, I look over, and he's just kind of swaying a little bit. And he just can't, <laughs> all he can say, he's got like these T-Rex arms up. And he just looks at me, and he, you know, we used to call him, he'd get this, when he'd drink, he'd call it one-eye. He, like, his one-eye would just droop. <laughs> so, he'd always say, look at me after we drink on it. He's like, do I got one-eye? I said, yeah. He's like, that's how you know he was drunk. Well, he didn't, he, he had that, but he wasn't drunk. And he looks at me, and he goes, he goes, going down, dude. And I'm just like, what? He goes, going down. Whoa, whoa. He whoa. just, like, the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz literally crumples. Yeah. Straight down. Gravity works. To the ground. And I'm just like, oh, shit. He's just, I mean, laying there dead weight. Yeah. He's about my size and weight, you know. But I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm like, shit, you know. And, you know, this heat and everything like that. So I'm freaking out. I'm like, man, maybe he's got heat stroke. I don't know what's wrong with him, you know. Blah, yeah. blah. So I was like, well, I got to get him out of the crowd. Because we're right in the middle of all these people. So I, <laughs> I literally grab him like, like he's my backpack arm lock him yeah. and he's straight out in front of me with his arms and his legs you know and he's not he's not he's, he's out I mean like comatose I mean he's breathing but he's not he's not yeah. there and I'm dragging him through the crowd and you know girl what the fuck you know he's, he's not trying to touch anybody but no, he just how, he, much, how much of the crowd do you gotta walk through oh uh, I mean it was at least a f- four or five minute walk yeah so I get him out to where there actually was a little hillside with like two trees and there was there's a little bit of shade, so I just you know I go over to the hillside, and I put I put him there, and uh, you know he he's just like he's like I don't know what the fuck's going on, man. He's like I just took one in. He's like that guy wasn't lying apparently, and so he he slept for like the next three hours, and I think Weezer somebody he knew was coming on. I kicked him, and he came too. He's like oh my god. He's like I'm so sorry, and I was scared. I'm like what the hell am I gonna you know yeah. What, what am I going to leave him? I had called the, you know, but I mean, he was breathing, so I knew he was fine, but I was just like, he, he couldn't even like make a sentence. <laughs> he's like, and the next day he's like, dude, he's like, between that hit, he's like a couple beers and that heat, he think he's, I just think it was a mixture of everything. He's Absolutely. like, and I just had no life to me whatsoever. Absolutely. But, uh, that brings me to my, my, uh, my, that's funny. The next thing I want to ask you about was what, what, what is the connection in your opinion with drugs and music? How they kind of seem to, in a lot of this stuff, go hand in hand to some degree with a lot of this creativity. You know, Bill Hicks has a famous quote where he says, I think drugs have done some good things for us. I really do. And if you don't think drugs have done good things for us, do me a favor. Go home tonight. Take all your albums, all your tapes, and all your CDs and burn them. Yeah. Because you know what? The musicians who made all that great music that's enhanced your life throughout the years, really fucking hot on drugs. And it goes back a long, long, long time. Yeah, old jazz musicians. That's what well, I mean. Yeah, that that was the musicians. the big thing. Like Coltrane, yeah. all them guys. They were. I mean, they were on hard stuff though too, yes. right? Yeah. We weren't just talking about smoking pot or blowing, you know, some coke. I mean, they were. Some of those yeah. guys were. And some of it, you know, of course, is born of the frustration of trying to be a working musician and playing to night after night to nobody or people that you know. You, you expose yourself when you're out there, and. I, sometimes you know the crowd doesn't audience doesn't see it that way you know sometimes I'll go see a band and I'm not actually rooting for them you know you can kind of sense maybe they're having a bit of a tough time but I'm going to root for them yeah. I like what they're doing and, but as far as the, the drugs and that it, like a good and bad I mean it, my gosh man we wouldn't have we wouldn't have half of what we have music wise actually without it I mean you know as an example, the Beatles, they meet Bob Dylan, 
and it's it's right too. You know, the Help album. It's all over that album. It's all over that movie. Well, my dad always said, and I, I said one band in history that I really just they never I never gravitated toward. I'm not saying they're terrible and they're overrated. I'm not saying that, although I think I have said they're overrated in the past, yeah. but. I wasn't there clearly when they were coming in, but he said that when Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club came out, to him, that was like they went from being this little pop girly girl band to when that was when the drugs started. He said in that album, I don't yeah. know, was that, the, was that the right album where they started using drugs, would you say? Or was it before that? It was the Help album. Was, was that, supposedly I don't see, I don't, was that for That's when they first got into marijuana was during the Help album. When money really started doing a lot more acoustic stuff, and then by the time you get to Rubber Soul, for sure, definitely. Um, what's the album after Rubber Soul? I can't remember it now. Uh, was it? Revolver. Yeah. My gosh, it's just all over that. And, you know, it's stuff that I've read. Where was the White Album as far as the The White Album, I think, was... That was about the only one that I ever really got into a little was bit. Was Sergeant Pepper, then Mystery Tour, then the White Album? I think. I don't know. I just remember my sister Carol bought the White Album, and I kept stealing it. And it was actually my first attempts at, like, air drumming was Ringo. And then my second attempts at air drumming was, of course, John Densmore with the Doors. Because I, I, at 11, 12 years old, I loved the frickin' Doors. And then I got into this whole thing with live albums. I had absolutely live Grand Funk Live. By the way, Grand Funk was an outstanding band, especially in the three-piece lineup. Um, and just a lot of live stuff that you hear different versions, and then, boy, if I like that, maybe then I'll get the studio album, you know, the version. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, that's just kind of what I used to listen to. But as far as drugs and music, it... Uh, it seems to work for some people, and some people it doesn't. I mean, it, I, it, especially, and I made a comment on Facebook the other day. Somebody posted something. There's, there's what they refer to as the cocaine mix from the 1980s, and it's, it's when you listen to some of the recordings from the 80s, they sound high, kind of high pitched, thin, almost kind of there's like a sheen over them. There's almost no low end. That's always been described as the cocaine mix. Because really? the people in the room were railed out of their mind yeah. or close to it. And even the beats are a little too quick and everything's up, 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 up. You know? I've never heard that's crazy. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. I, I just think I was, I, was, I, I was born too late. I've said it my whole life. I, I just, so much of, I mean, I, there is stuff that I appreciate now that's out. That's what my daughter Lisa says too. And you got to search, but I mean, I, I envy you, my father. I mean, just to grow up with, yeah. you know, my dad saw Led Zeppelin for five. He saw Jimi Hendrix. He saw Led Zeppelin for like, I don't know, a couple times. I mean, yeah. I'm just like, man, like, and I, you know, and the thing is, and I get it because even back, I mean, he's happy he did, but like, he didn't realize what you were seeing at the time. Yeah. You didn't think that shit. Like, I think of the music that I listen to now. You know, even the bands that I really like, will it be relevant in 40 years? Will, yeah. will they even be known to exist? And, and the thing is, probably back then, listening to that, you guys were just like, well, this is what's going on now. Yeah. We don't care about what's going to happen, but this is what we know for sure. Yeah. But to know that, I mean, some of that stuff, how, how music has changed, not always for the better. Yeah, it, it's crazy to know that so much of that is still real. I mean... In a, in the bad way of where I mean I, I don't know how being on job sites construction uh, 
hear how people could even listen to Y103. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, how I, the fuck shit. do you put the same... Every day you hear the same 30, 40 songs. You know, eight hours. And you hear sometimes two, three times a day. Like we were saying before, selective hearing. I don't want to have to work too hard. I want to know exactly what I'm listening to. I don't have to think about that settling. You know what I mean? Completely. It's, instead of going out and, you know, what else do they have? When, when a band... Back when I used to buy albums, when I had such a thing... A band would come out, first album, take, for instance, Bad Company, and it's all over the radio. It was a smash, you know. I didn't buy it, because first of all, half the shit's on the radio already. I'm not going to buy it. I can listen to it anytime I want. I want to see what the second album sounds like. That was always my thing. Is there something here that's going to take me past two or three good songs on one album? Is there like five, six albums here? Yeah. And that's how I used to really kind of like judge what I listened to. Yeah. I'd always buy like the second or the third or maybe the live album and then work my way back. Well, it you know? seems like the, what they say that the first album for a band is like, you know, your life's work. So, the, yeah, you know, everything you've known up to then. And it's crazy because then you either hit the sophomore slump where everything sucks after that or you don't, the next one's not that good. Or you see bands that, that, that find their, who found their niche and kind of progress yeah. To a to to a different level, which I think that's what I love about Tool. They came out, they were so raw, so heavy, so yeah. in your face, you know, shoot you in your fucking head. But it was just like it was so this intense. They went from that to being a progressive metal band within a few albums where the style it's sure. still them, but now the songs are twelve minutes long. Now it's all about timings and, and it's all about time signatures and it's about noises and it's not about a raw feel anymore. But so they yeah. they learned how to you know, I mean, it, it, that's just bands who could become something, become something else, but still keep the fans. Yeah. You know, um, that to me is the biggest testament of like, wow, you did your own thing. You did it your way. Yeah. And people were still there. Isn't right it there great watching them develop? Oh, absolutely. Isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to mention, well, okay. Let's take, for instance, who am I thinking of? Well, I don't want to go on Rush again, but let's take, for instance, Rush. First time I saw them uh, was six months after they played at the North Olmsted High School. Oh, wow. 20 minutes from my house. Yeah. So six months later, I see them in this tiny theater. And then you watch them the next tour, same theater, the next tour, a little bigger place, next one, the arena. And you watch them develop, you know. And that's what's cool. Again, that's what I said. Like you're kind of, you support them, but you're kind of rooting for them. Yeah. You know, you know they got something happening. You like it. You, you know, you're anticipating. Right. And I think they've. I don't know how you would do it now, because because what I you know what I grew up with, you go to the store, you buy the record, that kind of that's all gone. It's all changed. It's there's different ways of following music now. It's a sad thing that the album format's been kind of pushed aside because it was really unique, and there was. Artists or whatever producers that were paying attention, there was a side A with a feel and a side B with a feel on the best albums. Really important, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's just, there's you know, a lot with that. I know. <clears throat> then, uh, then you think of bands like, well, I mean, I'm not, well, I don't, I don't care. I've, I've stated my dislike for ACDC for years, but it's like basically one long song. And I don't understand how do you get, but you know, I think music can go hand in hand with a certain type of person yeah. who is programmed to only let so little in of their life yeah. to where 
it's that box that never changed, but they don't want it to, and they're okay with it. Yeah. Oh, you have a new album? I'm gonna buy it, but it's gonna sound just like the last one. And it's, yep. it's, but it's like I just I, I don't know. But that then that means their, their approach to probably a lot of things in life are just is just as narrow. That's what I'm saying. What they watch, what they read, what they eat. What's terrible is, and then I think of it because I, I, it's terrible. That's how I, I, I judge people a lot by what they listen to and by what they eat. Yeah. I always have. I think you can tell a lot about a person by that. Yeah, you can tell me I'm completely <laughs> wrong, but I swear the people that don't get music have no soul. I just <laughs> go ahead, throw the rocks. I yeah. don't care. Yeah. It's just you know, it's and the, to get out of it what I get out of it. You know, I, I don't know. It's just always been that great trend that's always been there. You know, whether I'm playing it, listening to it, you know, we're sitting here talking about it, thinking about, you know, even just, you know, doing Cornapalooza, just thinking about that is just something, you know. Yeah. And, you know, man, as you get older, as I say, there's not a whole lot that really, you know, makes you want to jump up and down. Well, I, yeah, you, you do so many things for so long. I'm sure. Yeah. That, I mean, every year, I mean, like, you think of, you know, like birthdays, you know. Yeah. Stop giving a fuck at 21, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now that you can, after you become legal to do everything, it's just like, now you're like, okay, well, what's there to look forward to? Death? Yeah. Like, what, what's, you know, like, What fills me is the people, like, even when you get into, like, your late 20s, early 30s, the people would still make a big shit deal about Christmas. Yeah. It's just that, really, it's more important to get together. Because we're all going, you know, we're overstimulated. My sisters did that this year with their, the perfect presents from my parents I'm like do you really yeah. think they give a fuck whatever you get them they're going to tell you they like it even if they don't Yeah. and they're not going to remember in two years what you got them yeah. so what does it matter they just, you know, they just want to see you yep. and they just want everybody not to be sick that's all they're, that's all they're yep. looking for and that, that went over well yeah. but uh, yeah I, I don't know well that's December in general which is why it took me so long I think that last podcast I did was like late October I'm just it's just the holidays I'm so happy it's over I know it sounds terrible to say that but it's just a lot of going to the motions as yeah. I get older you yeah. know which, which I don't do in my own life yeah. so it's like the time of year where I have to go through the motions and it's something I've always dealt with like regardless of what it is if I like it or not when I start going through motions I start to get a little edgy and I start, like when things start to become predictable yeah. I lose interest and yeah. that's, that's happened in bands that's happened in relationships that's happened with friends yeah and it's just like, man, I just, I, I need a little, I, I need to have something that I don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah. That uncertainty is what just, I sure. hate that. Yeah. When everything's just plain as day, it's just like, ah. Uh, but uh, switching gears, how much have you traveled? I mean, do you, have you traveled much? Just not anything for work. I know, you know, you, yeah. what you do as far as like out of the country or personally. Well, just in general. I mean, for for I mean, you've been in a lot of places in the U.S. and you've done a lot out of uh, you know. No, uh, the only time I left the country, I went to Windsor, Ontario, when I was in high school. My dad took us up there to see my cousin and my aunt. I had an aunt living up there, and uh, I had a cousin who I've only met just that one time. His name was David. He was my age, and. Uh, do you ever talk to him now? No, and he made the trip really. He made the visit real memorable. So yeah. it was it was good times. Uh, yeah. it was in a good way. Oh, very oh okay. Much so yes. Well, why didn't you keep in contact with? You shared and shared alike. So <laughs> you know, I don't know. They moved around a lot, and then and last I heard, he ended up in Los Angeles running a recording studio, and oh. then my other cousin named I think Tim McCartney was a. Uh, 
I guess, a professor of music over in Kent State. He's written pieces that have been played, and he's a, he's a, I guess he's a, got a doctorate in music. Nice. I, just these are cousins that I had that I, you know, I think I've seen once. Yeah. You know, my mom came up from a family of eight kids, so there was a lot of cousins scattered around. But we didn't do the big family thing, visiting wise, you know. Right. Right. Is there any place that you you've always wanted to go that you've never been to, or thought about like in your head, like before I die, I need to go here. Uh, Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard nice things. Iceland, um, England. Yeah. Australia. Uh, my daughter Sarah and her husband Justin were over in the Cook Islands, I think, for six months or something. That's right over by New Zealand. They lived on a, they lived on two different islands over there. I've I've heard that people who live in Australia. I have a friend I graduated with who lives there. Yeah. He said that people who live in Australia vacation in New Zealand. Yeah. That's like it's that's like to them that's like a nice place to live. Yeah. So. But otherwise, I I think what's I. In fact, I would love to do it again real soon. I don't know if we can do it this year, but three years in a row before we had children, uh, we waited to our mid-20s before we had kids, but Linda and I packed up a car, took off for three weeks, went out west, just camped. We went through the Redwoods, yeah. we, went, we camped on the beach, north of Los Angeles, we, all that stuff, Grand Canyon. We did like, we had 24 days almost each time. Just, I loved it, just loved it. And really want to do it again. We did 17 states. I was going into sixth grade in a car with two sisters oh. <laughs> and drove all of it, tended most of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, but me and my sisters, we say all the time, we tell my parents, that was the best experience we ever had. Absolutely. I mean, while it was happening, at times we're like, I cannot wait to be home and just yeah. like, be around these people. But looking back on it now, I mean, yeah, yeah we did. We, I mean, the, the, my grand, at the time, my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary was in Vegas. Yeah. So we met with some family in Iowa, then Denver, then we went to Vegas, and then we went to my parents had friends in Los Angeles. We stayed with them, and then my mom's best friend, who still lives in San Diego, was there. Then my dad's brothers lived in San Francisco. We drove to San Francisco. Came back, Sweet. Uh, did like the uh, the Badlands, which was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. want to live there, but it was cool to see. I mean, it was just just a different just a different place. I mean, went to Yellowstone, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I don't know. I, I I think to myself, you know, my parents they they never had a lot. You know, they were hippies, but they they knew we never felt like we 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 were poor. Not that we yeah. you know we were always fed and we always had. Yeah. things you know we didn't have the you know wasn't but I think it it's great because you know especially me now I'm not saying my sisters are aren't this way I mean they're they're not overly possession people completely either but I mean the older I get the more I realize the less I have the happier I am I agree I mean it's, <laughs> it's less to take yeah. care of it's less to worry about it's less to so I don't I. I don't really desire much like I used to, you know, a good conversation, making somebody feel good. Yeah. Um, making somebody laugh. Yeah. Man, that's, if I'm guilty of one thing, be it good or bad, I love making people laugh. I, I do. I'll, it's got me in so much trouble and I really don't give a shit because I was just trying to make you laugh so it's going to be okay, you'll live. Right. And uh, I just do. I love uh, somebody I don't even know. Even the girl that I dealt with today, 
as aggravating as she was, I got her to laugh at one point, you know. It's just, you know, yeah. communicating and breaking the ice and, yeah. you know, maybe bring a nice vibe to the room and, you know. Yeah, I, I, that's one thing I could always say is I, I know, I don't, look, I, I, I take it for granted at times, but then, you know, somebody will pull me aside and be like, you know, you being there yeah. really meant a lot to these people. Yeah. And I don't ever look at it that way because I think I'm just another face in the crowd. But yeah. hearing that in different friend groups and having such a wide variety of friends that I've always that I've known throughout the years in different ways, you know, it's in you know, it, it's humbling at times. You know, and I think, but with that comes, you know, sometimes the guilt of being in certain places to where you know how much you're wanted, but you know that you're not getting much in return because they're just. You know, you are the Jekyll or the entertainment, and, yeah. and which is great, and you don't mind. Yeah. But it's like, okay, I worked all day. Sometimes I just want to sit back and enjoy. It. Yeah. Why don't oh, you entertain me for a while? <laughs> and know. it's just they don't have the personality to do that. And just like, look, uh, I get it. I know, I know that you want this so much, and which is fine. Yeah. But it's like, I need to be entertained too. I'm not stimulating. You're stimulating, but I'm not. So this, you know, Some, sometimes you're just not up for it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But, um. On the heavy note, well, I shouldn't say heavy, but the uh, heavy the uh, deep question. Yes, sir. What's what do you believe is the next progression in music? Ooh, that's a nut smasher. <laughs> um, like where goodness. we're at now with where things are as far as you know the 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 status quo of what is relevant. Where are we going? I, th- I think we're going to do what usually seems to happen. I think we're going to kind of cycle back. And I think what kind of, I'm not going to say it's going to be psychedelic rock or anything like that, but in a way, the, the three piece, four piece rock band formats kind of played itself out material wise. And then now you've got this, if you listen to the radio, you've got like we've been talking about this narrow, this narrow playlist that everybody has to listen to. Um, and so they're not really listening to a lot of music. And I, I think, I just think it'll cycle back. It, it's, it's been in a bit of a downturn for about at least the last 15 years, you know. And the fact that music was basically made free hasn't helped. Right. But I think you'll get back to that. Um, <clears throat> quite honestly, <clears throat> I like to see it get quieter, you know. Uh, you listen to what's called a progressive rock band today. It's not what a progressive rock band was, even in like 1978, you know. And they've, there's, sometimes it seems a little almost too muscular in a way, you know. I like to, I like to hear a little more space than what I'm listening to. You know, mm-hmm. let it breathe a little bit. Yeah. But I think it's rolling along, man. I, I, like we're talking about these festivals, people are going to these things, they're spending the money. I don't know what they're getting out of them. I don't know two-thirds of the bands that are on the list. You know, is it just 15 minutes, you know? I, I think a lot of that is people's way of saving for something and just getting an escape and then hoping to find a band or see something that they enjoy. Yeah. Now, I don't know for sure, but that's been my festival experiences to where, you know, I, and, I, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with that, but knowing, just knowing me when I see a show, it's, it's almost like, I, not that I expect, yeah. but it's like, I don't just want to go there and be, well, okay, let's see who's playing over here. Yeah. That just, to me, just sounds like you don't even give a shit. You know, it's like, yep. 
and I, I listen. I, I look like for new. Short. I look for new music all the time. As much as I love what I'm into, yeah. I'm always people. I say, "Who's your favorite?" So, well, this is my favorite right now. Yeah. Hopefully, it changes. Why, why would you want to change? Because I always hope that I find something that I like even more. I mean, who, yeah. who wouldn't want to? I wouldn't just want to stay in the idea of this is great. I don't need anything else ever to listen to again. And I mean, let's think about it. you figure of oh, the music that's produced. Let's say in the genre that you like. How much have you actually heard of all that was produced? How much percentage? By by radio, whatever. I wouldn't say much. Well, and, and the, the sub-genre that I will really like is that psychedelic sludge metal, these airy bands with these heavy... Yeah. Tw- I've probably only heard, honestly, 20 to 30% of probably yeah. the total genre. So let's say out of the 100%, 40% of it's shit. Yeah. You know? But the rest of it, is just unknown to yeah. you. So it's really new music. Even music... Take, for instance, a band called Big Star that I knew nothing about until about 2011. And the only reason I learned anything about it was uh, a friend gave me a book about uh, Casualties of Rock. And it was all based on 27. Yeah. And one of the guitar player in Big Star was a guy named Chris Bell, who died at age 27. So he's in there. I'm like, who's this Big Star? I keep reading about him. I finally look into him and I discover this whole vibe, this whole band, this uh, Alex Chilton, who I didn't know anything about, really. Um, just this whole culture they had down in Memphis back in the mid-70s of this power pop band that didn't fit where they were. There was nowhere to put them on the radio. Where do you put them in between Zeppelin and Yes? You know, and... Uh, but it was old new, old music, but it was so new to me. Right. And it brought a lot of new things. Especially when it come, if you listen to their third album, the way that was kind of put together, that was in bits and pieces. And it's loose. It almost sounds like at times they're going to fall apart. And it's just they were, in a, they were in a rough time in their career. It was not looking good, and it's all over that album. You can hear it. You know, but there's little signs of hope. But just, just that was so new to me. And, and, Nate, I got into that so much for the next year. Yeah. You know? oh, I think of I know I, I find a band that I really like and I, I get into it it's yeah. like the next two to three years even if they don't put anything else out yeah. it's just like I'm just like man I'm, I'm so, I mean one of my favorite bands right now is this band that nobody knows there's this Ukrainian band called Somali Yacht Club okay they've only had like they only had like four actual releases two of them are not that good they're early and they're just kind of messy but the last two albums they put out are just so good and it's crazy. I mean, this Ukrainian band, and that like you know, they don't they don't really. I mean, obviously they know English because they're, they're they're the lyrics are in English. But I've watched interviews, and none of them were in English. And I, I got yeah. that, I bought some merch off of them, and I begged them to come to the. I was like, come to the states. They've toured. You know, metal is so much bigger in Europe than it is here. Yeah. And they they this I'm you know I'm I hope that someday that I they they actually will come to the states. But uh, and I I forget who I it might have been Robert Plant. Somebody was doing an interview. Was it Robert Plant? But anyway, he was talking about... It was an English musician. He was talking about rock, classic rock, metal. And the older bands over there, they don't cling to them. England doesn't cling to them like we cling to them here. We cling to them. Even it's down to one freaking last guy from the original. You know, they'll throw their money out and they'll go see it. People are going to go see the Black Crows this year, or have. I don't get it. They're going to cling to it, you know. Yeah. Because that's what they know. But they, it's, 
the attitude seems to be over in Europe, they just move on, you know? Yeah. Which yeah. I kind of wish we did over here a little bit. At times, yeah. Um, a lot of old guys in the way, you know. <laughs> well, your generation, you were the baby. Uh, what format of music do you prefer? What is your favorite? Cassette, 8-track, vinyl, CD, digital? Oh, most definitely CD. Um, although at times they sound a little too clean. And there's a sort of a, and some of them, if they're not well made or they're older, there's a little bit of that sort of upper mid frequency distortion, like chirpiness that breaks through. That's what I hear. But yeah, I, I like the vinyl thing and all that, but I've destroyed so many albums and I do miss having a turntable. I don't like the phone. I don't like MP3, but I do like the phone for practicing material. Yeah. Because bam, it's right there. I can run it through a stereo receiver and into my headphones and I can clean it up a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's better than, you know, the old days I'm making cassettes for everybody. Okay, here's 22 songs, Bill, make up eight cassettes. <laughs> that and the idea of, you know, I remember being a kid and just worshiping these musicians that, that, that were coming to me and just the artwork meant so as much to me as the songs at times. Oh, yeah. And now, you don't, there is no artwork. The art and music are like two separate things now. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, well, wait, half of the fun of getting into the album was the, the even, you know, the, even the, the pictures they took of themselves or the way that they wrote the lyrics, you know, sometimes it was typed, sometimes with the guy's actual handwriting, you know, sure. just studying, trying to get into their mode as much as I could to try to just put myself in the moment of what, when this was created, what yeah. was going on. Yep. You know, trying to make myself be there and just fly on the wall as much as I possibly could. Yep. And you don't get any of that with digital music, clearly, because there's no, it's just complete separation. You hit a button and it's there. Yeah. That's it's it. There. It's that, that's your only connection to it. And you can do away with it in an instant. Yeah. You know. Which is why, and the thing is, I don't think our, you know, the generation now doesn't have the intention span no. for an album to no. listen to. No. They're going to hear, they're going to put a song on and listen to it a thousand times. And okay, this is what I know. What do you know about this band? I know this song. Okay, what else do you know? Yeah. Well, that's the only song I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, do you know they made 25 songs? Yeah. Did you listen to it? No. I know that, but I like that song. Well, you, maybe there's a song you like more. That's right. Well, how, that's right. How do you, you know? Did you listen to the B side? Back in the days when they had 45s, I was a B side yeah. guy. Bam, what's on the B side? Yeah. Great songs on B side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you, yeah. Well, what's the rawness that you just. Probably were like, ah, fuck it, let's just see what happens. You yeah. know, and they just put something out there like, this was just one night jamming me and we just happened to have a chord. Yeah. Which at times, which we know, sometimes that's the greatest thing that you ever write in your life is yeah. when you're not trying to. Yeah. Or you're not, you don't think it's going to be good or yeah. it's not commercially acceptable, but it's, it has more feeling than anything else you've ever done before. And it's just like you said, there's so much con uh, competition for the attention span. Everything's so instant anymore. Unless it grabs them, or unless it's a straight four four B, people aren't listening. Yeah, you know. Yep. And uh, um, well, I think I pretty much covered what I want to talk about. Do you? Have, is there any additional statements or any questions for me that you may have? Questions for you? You don't. You don't huh. have. You don't have to have any for me. For you. I just want to. You know, give. I've been the one conducting this. Uh, yes. So. so who are some of your favorite bass players, Nate? Well, let's talk old school. Let's talk uh... Justin Chancellor for sure from Tool. Okay, um, Les Claypool I love a lot, and it, just completely different styles. Um, yeah. I, 
tend to play a lot like Chancellor, where he I do some some chords. He plays on the higher strings. Yeah, I I appreciate slap bass playing and this and that. I think Flea's great. It's just not my style. Yeah, I like and I, I like listening to it. I'm not against it. I like the funk. I like all that. But I play flats on my bass even. You know, I I have yeah. players. Guys come up and try to play my bass, and they'll, and they'll, they'll go to start song, this or that, and they'll feel how smooth my yeah. strings are because they're 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 flats, which okay. they're not round wound, they're flat wound. So there's no grit. You could it, 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 there's no friction at all because yeah. I do a lot of slatting and yeah. holding chords. It's easier. I don't exactly have the the hands to be a bass player to begin with. I have very small hands. Yeah, and um, so it's easier for me and I like the way it sounds more and with what I actually do as far as technically it makes more more sense for me yeah. um, I mean like I said I mean there's a lot of uh, Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath is fun. I mean he might have been as good as Tony Iommi but just had a different instrument in his hand I mean that yeah. guy wrote is just as much almost and he's just you don't and which is I mean it's the first four Sabbath records I love so much but the thing with his was you don't really hear, I don't know, because of the recordings at the time, or they didn't, they didn't just, because it wasn't, a, it was a lower frequency, so it just wasn't as loud. Sure. But there's so many of their songs where he's doing more than the guitar, even if you just, you just hear. Yeah. You barely hear it in the background. Yeah. Then you go to play, and you're like, I can't fucking play this. Yeah. This guy's really good. He's got this percolating groove going yeah. in the background. Yeah. Because yeah. I've thought about doing a Black Sabbath yeah. tribute. I would love to, because I just, some of I, I heard Iron Man and I was just like, fuck this. But then I started listening to them and I'm just yeah. like, man, they have so many songs that are just magical to me. And with or without Ozzy, he's not what made the band by any means to me. Yeah. Those three, Bill Ward, Tony Iommi, and Geezer Butler, those three musicians together, man, like to me, they were all blue collar guys. Uh, they all worked in factories and shit and just got drunk after work together and started playing like, it was, they were just gritty and they lived in, you know, a shitty, shitty town and just, it was just, there's, to me, it's just like, you want to talk about the ultimate dream of just like playing music with your friends and like, well, let's just see what happens. And then just getting drunk after work one day and like, oh, we should start a band. And, and those English musicians from back then, they came from a totally different world. They were born out of the Second World War. Yeah. And a good part of the London area was destroyed. Uh, they lived on rations for a long, long time into the 50s from what I've read. And everything was very primitive. The BBC controlled the radio, so they couldn't get rock and roll over there. They got it off the pirate ship. Pirate ship a broadcast from the English Channel. Yeah. That you know, and then they they were hungrier, I think. You know, when they got over here, they couldn't believe America. They just seemed hungrier than American artists. You know. Yeah. And there's a different. There was always to me a different class or style brought to their presentation. First time I ever saw a white stage floor was uh, Rolling Stones at the stadium. The stage floor was absolutely glowing white. And then when the lights hit it, it just illuminated. Just a little simple thing like that made such a huge effect. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, that's what I've always read. Is, is that's why the attitude is the way it is. And of course, they, they're a rougher bunch, too. The yeah. people they had managing them were criminals right. in some ways, you know? Yeah. But the guy managing Elvis was a criminal, too. So. Yeah. Elvis, who stole everything he knew from yeah. old black so, men and women. Uh, how, how do you like this uh, this version of the flying tree so far? I do enjoy it. <coughs> I think I was talking to Josh. It's a, it's a different... It's funny, you know, because we're all so lax 
you know, and it, and it's which has probably worked for us at the same time. Maybe maybe is why we don't have any recordings out, which is what I want more than anything. Is just I would love to just to say to somebody, hey, you know, go on any of your meme, your 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 socials, you know, whatever, and yeah, just we're click. As much as I hate, it, I'd like to at least say, what do you sound like? Well, it's hard to explain. Just here, when you get yeah. time, listen to this. I would like yeah. to that. So I I mean, you have wanted to play more than any of us have. Which I'm not saying, which has been good because it's actually got my wheels turned because then I start thinking, okay, what do we have that I actually like? What do we need to do? Yeah. Where do I want to be as far as creation? And I've been, it's, 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 it's you know, the little things like that. Josh too, you know, lately he's, uh, his, his attention's going back to really wanting to create again. I think just after a couple of good practices, it's, um, you know. Yeah, his life is so structured to where he doesn't have as much control as he'd like to have, and I feel bad for him for that. So I, you know, I mean, it's it's well, it's his own choosing, but you know, when you when you start a business and you want to be everywhere all the time, sure, um, I get it. But he's realizing finally now that he's you know for himself, it seems like that he just wants to dial back a little bit and he'd like to keep things a little more simplistic and can't cover every base, right? And and what's what's helping with that is his release with music, yeah, which. You know, um, I was talking with Hayden with the other night too, and he was, he's telling me, you know, he wanted to start something, this and that, and he's been saying this to me. I said, you know, the thing is who I I give it to him and the guy gave up all his jobs right now to just strictly work on music. Wow. Um, which is frightening and that makes you a starving musician and I get that and I, and I commend him for it because, you know, I, I mean, that's what he wants to do, but I don't think I'd ever want to be that way in where I love to play so much because it's my creative out. Yeah. If I was doing this strictly for money, I would not be into it exactly. at all. Exactly. I need that. Like, and I, that's why I tell people, man, I, he's like, he said that to me. He's like, you know, I said, that, he's like, really? I said, let's put it this way. I said, I don't love to paint every day. It's not yeah. the greatest thing ever. Yeah. But if I never painted again as, as a job, yeah. I would probably start painting canvases in my spare time every now and then just as a little abstract painting. I, I know I would. Yeah. You know, it's, I like it that much to I still want to do it. So it's like, you know, to make music my life, I don't, I like where it's at. Exactly. I like it being my out yeah. from the norm. You're self-employed, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, I never worked Don't you love being self-employed? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I answered it, well, technically my father most of the time. To the point anywhere, he seems to answer to me just as much. But, uh, yeah, so it, it is nice knowing that, you know, it's it's the idea of, what what do you want to do with it? It's, it's it yeah. is up to me. Which you know, it's odd. Is both things. Uh, I started my own business in ninety one, but both things kind of took off the same year. Um, the business and then really getting into playing, and you know, once I made a decision, and both those things have been kind of hand in hand. Yeah. So uh, and I do travel a lot for work, but the nice thing about that is any material that we're working on, I've got it with me. I can listen to it. I can tap it out in the car. You know, and it, 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 I've gone and seen shows in cities that I probably never would have gone to if I didn't have work in that area. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cool stuff like that. Um, cool. Well, Bill, yeah, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming over. and uh, This was cool. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll see you soon at practice, I'm sure. And thanks for being on a Distorted Disclosure. Absolutely. And uh, we, we wish everyone a wonderful night or whenever you listen to this and the browns are great yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) cleveland cleveland's cleveland's on top of everything right now oh my gosh but uh 
Anyway, signing off. Bye-bye.